Alex Harinya, Alex She, and Adam Rich for coming in today and talking on this rather gloomy Monday weather-wise. My name is Nick. Beautiful, Ro- Nick. Come on. <laughs> 60 and sunny. All right, that's actually fair. All right, my name is Nick Hornberg. Have a great week, everybody, and go blue. Good evening. It's uh, about 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. And welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. My partner, Jim Dwyer, has the week off. So he'll be back with us next week as we do our pre-election show. Election, uh, boy, it's in two weeks. And it should be interesting. It's going to be very close. I'll talk a little bit about the mathematics of politics in a second here. Uh, Because I believe in mathematics as it relates to politics. Sort of like following the the sports uh, win and loss tables. I, I don't know. I'm not following football all that closely at the moment because of baseball season, but I know that the Rams are undefeated, and I know the Giants are having a pretty bad year. So I can, with relative certainty, say that the Rams are better than the New York Giants. The Rams will probably make the playoffs, and the New York Giants won't. Now with Detroit, 3-3, three and three, who knows? So see what happens. They had a big win yesterday. But you don't want to hear about sports. You just heard about sports. Um, I was going to talk a little bit more about the situation with Saudi Arabia. Um, And I want to call Donald Trump out on some some issues uh, involving the Saudi Arabian situation. Uh, Yes, they have been a key ally over the years. But there have been problems with this relationship for a lot of different reasons. And uh, I think that Americans need to reevaluate the relationship with Saudi Arabia. I don't think there's any question um, that the leadership of Saudi Arabia was uh, involved in this incident at the Turkish embassy. This may have actually been a miscalculation by MSB, 
uh, Donald Trump is kind of running around the country bragging about a lot of things. And a few things have kind of gone south of, on him in the last couple of weeks, including the stock market. But I wanted to make a note of uh, Donald Trump's arguments about the trade deficit as it relates to Saudi Arabia. Um, he has been, since he became president, been president uh, 19 months now, he's been talking endlessly about the trade deficit with Canada. He keeps saying that uh, Canada is ripping us off and these trade deals are really bad for America and we're getting ripped off and all that. But it's a puzzle why Donald Trump doesn't look at the trade deficit with Saudi Arabia. Because the trade deficit with Saudi Arabia is sometimes bigger than with Canada. We trade six times more merchandise with Canada than we do with Saudi Arabia. And obviously, uh, the trade deficit with Saudi Arabia is, loaded, is, is, is about oil. We still import oil. Uh, to make petroleum. And in fact, the Saudis, one of their biggest uh, oil refineries is in Texas. Aramco, uh, earlier this year, uh, was rumored to be uh, contemplating a IPO, an initial public offering, in which they would be listed uh, on the international stock exchanges. Uh, however, <laughs> once the Saudis uh, were informed that this involved reporting information for the to the SEC public stock exchanges are regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission the SEC was created during the new deal because of the great depression uh, many people around America lost everything they had in the stock market because of widespread fraud and a lot of people were buying stock on margin as it was called that was where you were couldn't really afford the stock, but you bought it anyway and told your broker you'd pay him next month. There's a very famous cartoon character uh, called Wimpy. I always uh, like to quote Wimpy. Wimpy ate hamburgers. He was on on the Popeye cartoon. And Wimpy's famous line was, I will gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. <laughs> that explains a lot of capitalism, where people borrow today to consume and will pay next week. Obviously, Wimpy was not the kind of man who could pay on Tuesday. But uh, his little cartoon comment, commentary... Uh, said a lot about, and still says a lot about, capitalism. But I wanted to bring to Mr. Trump's attention, and I don't have every year here, I just selected three years randomly, 2009, 2012, and 2014. What's interesting is that in 2009, which was basically the year that we were recovering from the latest uh, financial crisis, Saudi Arabia ranked 25th in trade. In other words, it's not even in the top 20. And we imported about $22 billion worth of oil, basically. Our total trade with Saudi Arabia was $32.8 billion. And our deficit was the 10th worst. Canada, on the other hand, we had 420 
billion dollars of trade, almost 10 times as much. And uh, the trade deficit with Canada was greater, but not much. It was $22 billion. And we exported $204 billion to Canada while only exporting $10.8 billion to Saudi Arabia. So if we're getting ripped off by Canada using Donald Trump's logic, why aren't we getting ripped off by Saudi Arabia with these trade deficits? Let's look at another year here, 2014. Saudi Arabia, uh, the deficit ranked sixth that year. Our trade deficit with Saudi Arabia was actually bigger than it was with Canada. Go figure. Um, because uh, trade had gone up, there was a recovery underway, and our total uh, imports from Saudi Arabia were $47 billion. Our exports were $21 billion, and our total trade was $65 billion. And this is the story. Saudi Arabia is a country that ranks now about 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th in that range uh, in terms of our trading partner, in terms of our totals. We trade more with Germany, we trade more with Japan, Canada, Mexico, the NAFTA situation and all that. But what's fascinating is that in 2012, um, Saudi Arabia was 9th and their deficit our trade deficit was higher than it was with Canada. So one wonders why Donald Trump is so concerned about the trade deficit with Canada where he claims we're getting ripped off and not with the trade deficit with Saudi Arabia. Now, obviously, we buy oil from Saudi Arabia. That's what we buy. What do we sell to Saudi Arabia? Luxury goods. We sell bulletproof Cadillacs. We sell airplanes. We sell arms, and those arms are being used in uh, the, the war in Yemen. And uh, it's always uh, cautionary to quote Joseph Stalin, but Stalin once said that the death of a, one individual is a tragedy. The death of a million people is a statistic. Well, a million people have not died in the Yemeni's civil war, but the humanitarian crisis in Yemen is getting very short shrift in the American media while there's all this focus on this uh, murder in the uh, Turkish embassy. Now, Erdogan claims he's going to have a report for us tomorrow, and Turkey and Saudi Arabia have had some rivalries in the Middle East. In fact, in Syria, they're um, essentially backing different factions in the Syrian civil war. Saudi Arabia has certainly been used as an, quote, ally of the United States in many of these Middle Eastern conflicts. And it's always been important to remember that the Saudis bankrolled Saddam Hussein in the 1980s when he invaded Iran, creating this devastating Iran-Iraq war. Saddam Hussein used chemical weapons against the Kurds and against the Iranians in some areas in the mountains. And the United States said virtually nothing about those atrocities committed by Saddam Hussein because we were allied with Saddam Hussein. And these changes of, of loyalty in the Middle East 
kind of like the shifting sands that you see in uh, Lawrence of Arabia, uh, the famous David Lean movie, I think are important to pay attention to. Um, Saudi Arabia, of course, in the in the 1970s, in the mid-70s, early 70s, in response to the Yom Kippur War, embargoed the United States. It wasn't a question of raising the price of oil, which did go up. It went up by a factor of four. It went from about 280 a barrel, if you can imagine that, to uh, about $12 a barrel. It basically quadrupled. But the problem in the United States was supply. We had gigantic gas lines. We had people running out of gas in urban areas, unable to fill their cars up because the gas stations literally were out of, out of gasoline. They had sold every drop they had. This caused a major economic dislocation to the United States economy. It created the recession of 73-74 and was a devastating uh, economic impact, particularly in the Midwest. The, the so-called Rust Belt, Michigan, Ohio, Illinois, Indiana, Pennsylvania. We used, Detroit bought steel from the Pittsburgh steel companies. Uh, to make the big boats that people drove back then, the giant cars that got eight or nine miles to the gallon. Japan at the time had about 1% of the American car market. It's got about 32% now, 33% roughly. Japan makes a lot of their cars now here in the United States. That became a major trade uh, nationalistic uh, dispute in the 1980s. And the Japanese car companies like Toyota and Nissan, back then it was called Datsun, and Honda moved their uh, some of their production facilities from Japan to the United States to make cars directly in uh, various plants around the country. Honda, in fact, was one of the first uh, Japanese car companies to move a plant to the United States. They built a giant plant in a place called Marysville, Ohio, where I grew up. Mazda uh, built a giant plant uh, in Michigan called Flat Rock. They were in a sort of a partnership with Ford. And we've seen in recent weeks now with these uh, disastrous trade policies of Donald Trump uh, the big car companies here um, that we um, the big car companies here are are in partnerships with some of the foreign car companies uh, there's a big there was a big headline over the weekend that Ford and Volkswagen are discussing things and Ford issued a statement last week that the trade war is going to cost Ford. $1 billion this year uh, because of Donald Trump's petulant trade war uh, that really isn't doing anything except raising prices and creating global uncertainty. Lately, it's caused the stock market to kind of correct. And Donald Trump hasn't been able to run on the stock market in the last couple of weeks, if you've noticed. His tune has changed. He's talking now about Kavanaugh, the caravan, and, quote, common sense. Uh, he used that phrase in Montana the other day, and I don't know if he ever looked at a map, but 
The caravan is about 2,500 miles, almost 3,000 miles from Montana. Uh, so I'm not too sure if the ranchers in Montana are worried about the caravan making its way up to the great state of Montana. But uh, they would either have to go through the desert of New Mexico and or the Grand Canyon and or the Great Salt Lake State, whatever. Uh, they're not a threat to Montanans. Yet Trump is having this rally suggesting to the people of Montana that they are. And what happens with the caravan, we'll see. Um, we, uh, with this relationship with Saudi Arabia, I just wanted to read this. This is fascinating about how things have changed over the years and how things have gone back and forth. I'm quoting here from Bruce Rydell's uh, excellent book about the American-Saudi relationship called Kings and Presidents. He writes, at the start of the 1958 Arab Cold War between Nasser, that's the um, military general that led Egypt, and the monarchies escalated. On the 5th of March, 1958, Nasser accused Saudi Arabia of plotting to assassinate him and called in turn for the overthrow of the House of Saud. This precipitated a wave of propaganda across the Arab world as the revolutionaries sought to bring down monarchs and unite the Arab states into a single state. The Soviets enthusiastically backed the revolutionaries. Against this backdrop in an internal struggle in Riyadh, um, on the basically three weeks later, Prince Fahd bin Abdul Aziz al Saud, a future Saud, a future king, along with 11 other senior princes, confronted Saud directly in the palace and demanded that he turn power over to Faisal. Faisal was one of his sons. He later became the king. He was the guy that imposed the embargo on the United States in 1973. And, oh, yes, he was assassinated in a, uh, in a palace in Saudi Arabia, allegedly by a, quote, deranged nephew. Uh, I've never believed that cover story. And I'm certainly not going to believe that uh, Khashoggi was killed in a fist fight. I mean, what are we supposed to believe? That Khashoggi went into the Turkish embassy and he and a couple of Saudis started to play poker and uh, he got caught cheating at cards. Uh, you know, the old uh, Billy the Kid, uh, whatever they call it, the dead-eyed the dead, uh, the uh, two-pair the uh, pair of jacks and the pair of sevens, and he pulls out the three fives to win the hand because he had one of the fives hidden in his sleeve, whatever. Uh, Billy the Kid allegedly shot somebody in a poker game. That's how he became notorious. But to believe that he died in a fist fight in the <laughs> Saudi, in in the Turkish embassy in, in Istanbul is is ludicrous. I mean, it's almost... Humorous that that's even now the new cover story. But if you'll notice, Donald Trump, who is a master of creating fake narratives and, and lies, created the opportunity for the Saudis a couple weeks ago when he said it was rogue elements that were involved. MSB had nothing to do with it, or M, uh, MBS had nothing to do with it. Mr. Bonesaw, 
Nothing to do with what happened to Khashoggi. There's obviously international outrage about this, and we'll see what happens. But the notion that he died in a fist fight is uh, almost comical. It's it's uh, it's it's one of those Donald Trump uh, make believe stories. I don't know why they would even come up with that one, but uh, it is humorous. In any event, uh, Faisal was made regent in 1958. Later in 58, a revolutionary coup in Baghdad, that's in Iraq, overthrew the Hashemite monarchy to herald a decisive turn in the Arab world towards nationalistic forces. Reading again here from Bruce Riddle. To forestall further coups, the United States sent Marines, U.S. Marines, into Lebanon to shore up its pro-Western Christian government, and the United Kingdom sent paratroopers into Jordan to save the last of the Hashemite monarchy. Uh, but nationalistic forces were deeply divided, and Nasser did not control the revolutionary government in Baghdad. And that same year, by the way, he had created the so-called United Arab Republic, which unified Egypt and Syria. So all of these countries have incredibly complicated factional rivalries about power. Some of the constitutions were written uh, 50, 60 years ago. The Arab world, by the way, was was uh, divided up by British and French imperialists called the Sykes-Picot Agreement shortly before the end of World War One, in which the British and French divided up the Ottoman Empire in that part of the world. Uh, the Saudis, by the way, had their own situation. Uh, be- and, of course, the reason that the Saudis are also important is not just the oil issue, but, of course, they are the guardians, so to speak, of the holy shrines of the Muslim faith. Uh, all Muslims are re- expected and or required to vi- to make a hajj to Saudi Arabia at some point in their lifetime. And they have this every year. Some years there is violence. Some years there are trampling incidents. R- r- basically, uh, too many people get involved in these sort of stampedes. And there have been a number of very odd incidents even involving the Hajj uh, in Saudi Arabia over the years. But uh, discussing religion is not strictly forbidden on gray matters, but it's advisable to avoid complicated discussions of religion. So we will skip over that part of the story. Now, in 1961, in July, the British sent... Royal Marines um, into Kuwait because Kuwait um, had a bond with the Saudi royal family and um, they were being threatened by Baghdad, Iraq. Um, That, of course, later became a grievance that Saddam Hussein used in the 1990 invasion of Kuwait. Saddam Hussein thought that Kuwait owed him money from the Iran-Iraq war. They wouldn't pay. He just decided to use his superior military forces and simply invaded the place. Kuwait, by the way, used to be part of the so-called British division of Iraq uh, back in 19— the division happened in the 
First World War, but the uh, Kuwait was part of Iraq, and it didn't actually become an independent state until 62. But these connections between the Kuwaiti royal family and the Saudi royal family explain how and why the United States got into the first Persian Gulf War. Uh, there are many theories about the war. Uh, some talk about oil. I will mention capital. Follow the money. Where have we heard that? We heard that from the Watergate scandal. We heard it, and we know that it's connected to Donald Trump in Saudi Arabia. He says, I don't have any money invested in Saudi Arabia. Well, that's not the issue. The issue is how much money do they have invested in Donald Trump? Um, he's been very friendly with Saudi Arabia since coming into power. Perhaps uh, the most friendly um, president in American history, uh, other than Ronald Reagan. Of course, he was back in the news because Trump, over the weekend, throws a screwball into the political campaign. He knows there's a lot of heat about the Saudi situation. So what does he propose? Uh, eliminating the INF Treaty, uh, claiming that the, so uh, the Russians are not adhering to it. That's a matter of dispute. Uh, this has been widely... This is basically worldwide puzzlement has actually occurred over this because no one really knows what Trump is really proposing here. Uh, this INF agreement, by the way, happened in the 19, late 1980s between Reagan and Gorbachev. Uh, we can talk about it next week. I think it's a, 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 an entirely separate, interesting story in and of itself. And there you have it. These complicated shifting sands of these connections between the American, British, uh, imperialistic uh, objectives in the Middle East, oil corporations, money, and the, and the need for the United States to still import oil. Yes, we are exporting gasoline, but we are still importing oil. We still consume about 18 million barrels a day, and while production has doubled uh, since 2009, in fact, ironically, it went way up under Obama. It went um, up under Dick Cheney. It's part of the fracking thing. But we still have to import uh, about six to seven million barrels of oil a day. And that oil, by the way, comes mainly from Canada and Mexico. That's why we have these slight deficits with these two countries. A new president is taking over in Mexico in a couple of uh, weeks. 1st of December, he has uh, promised to change some of the oil policies of the Mexican government. The Mexican oil industry is controlled by a state-owned entity called Pemex. Um, so that ought to be very interesting because Obrador is more of a socialist. And, of course, what did we hear today in response to the caravan? Donald Trump is cutting off aid to Honduras and Guatemala uh, as he's outraged, as uh, children in diapers are trekking 2,000 miles to get to the border, where who knows what's going to happen. Now, the elections are very quickly—we'll um, talk more about the elections next week, because it'll be sort of one of the last shows before the actual election. But I wanted to read a key thing about the mathematics and one of the main issues here in the state of Michigan— we have a gerrymandering problem here in the state of Michigan. Um, and guess what? It's on the ballot. It's a, it's a proposition. Um, 
Don't remember whether it's two or three. I'll have to check my voter's guide on that one. But I'm in favor of uh, having a nonpartisan commission uh, draw the congressional districts, not the state legislature. Michigan, by the way, has been very heavily gerrymandered for the last 30 years. Really? And uh, that is why in statewide races, the Democrats will often get more popular votes, but then our congressional representation is disproportionately Republican for a variety of reasons. Well, here's an interesting explanation for what, uh, what that whole thing, the suffocation of democracy by Christopher Browning in the uh, October 25th uh, edition of the New York Review of Books. I wanted to quote this. He writes that, by my calculation, every uh, current serving Democratic senator represents roughly 3.65 million people. Every Republican, 2.5 million. Put it another way, the 50 senators from the 25 least populous states, 29 of them senators are Republicans, and they represent just over 16% of the people. Republican senators, thus, uh, have enough to block a conviction on impeachment charges and represent states with a total of 21% of the American population. With gerrymandering and voter suppression um, enhancing even more the systemic Republican advantage, it is estimated that the Democrats will have to win by 7 to 11 points, a margin only obtainable in rare wave elections in the 2018 elections to achieve even the narrowest margins in the House of Representatives. Now, I read that because of the significance of gerrymandering. What's interesting at the moment is the Republicans are talking about caravans, Trump, and immigration, and the Democrats are talking about health care. That's their main issue. Um... Tax cuts have evaporated from the conversation because they're not terribly popular. And what did we have last week? We had a report that the the budget deficit went up to $779 billion. It went up 15%. Surprise, surprise. Uh, The critics of the tax cuts said this is exactly what was going to happen, that this was a tax giveaway to the rich. That's exactly what's happened. So gerrymandering is a huge advantage for the Republicans. What is fascinating, of course, in this particular election is that the Democrats have negated a little bit of the money disadvantage that they usually have to deal with. And usually a lot of late money is poured into these House seats to help uh, vulnerable Republicans keep their seats. That doesn't look like it's going to happen this year. That doesn't look like it's going to work. But I caution everybody out there, don't believe there's going to be a gigantic blue wave. It's going to be a a little blue wave, but I doubt the Democrats are even going to take control of the Senate. And let's remember, Obamacare is hanging by two votes, two votes in the Senate. We'll talk more about it next week. We are out of time down here on Gray Matters here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Thanks to Andrew for engineering, and do stay tuned. Yazoo City Calling is coming up next. There was blood on the saddle.
never be the same after these boys get through with it.